0: This is a recording made in the chapter of the open book at the Wednesday dinner hour meetings, and we are considering today the seventh and the last of the series of typical signs that we meet in the Old Testament scriptures. You may remember that they in different ways, in the lives and experiences they have, foreshadow the purpose of the ages and the steps that God has taken to bring it about. We have two sons at the beginning. Now, don't say Cain and Abel. We have two sons at the beginning, Abel and Seth. Cain was of that wicked one and slew his brother, (laughs) and God gave a substitute. God hath given me another son instead of. That's the principle. So, you see, the first pair indicate the sacrificial basis upon which all this glorious thing is to rest. And then we have Isaac. The son that was given when the parents were past age and offered on the mountain and received back again in figure, emphasising resurrection. So that we are told that when Abraham stood in the presence of God and heard about the gift of a son, he didn't believe God, he didn't believe Jehovah, he believed him that quickeneth the dead. That's the character of that. Well then we have two other sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph, most certainly a type of Christ, right up to the sitting on the throne, and receiving his wayward brothers back again. And Benjamin, who must be added to the story, the son of the right hand, emphasising the risen, ascended, seated Christ. Well, then we come to the last two. David and Solomon. They also make a pair. David, the type of Christ at the beginning, largely persecuted by Saul, And when you say that, does that ring a bell in your hearts when one day a man named Saul of the tribe of Benjamin on the road to Damascus heard a voice from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Did that man who knew the scriptures have a feeling in his heart? Am I doing the same as my namesake? Is this one that I'm persecuting the true David of God? I believe it must have been that man knew the word and that entered like a spear, as it were, into his heart. Well, we come today to Solomon, his son. Now Solomon is like you and me, a mixture. He was one of the wisest men in the the earth. He was a great type and a picture of the Son of God in the glory that's yet to be. But the man, wise as he was, was an utter fool, for he turned away from what God had written for his guidance and he was no more able to protect himself than anyone else. But if a type never had a failure, it would not be a type, it would be the reality. So we'll excuse him, shall we, (coughs) knowing our own frailty, and look at one or two passages which will round off this approach. The sevenfold picture of the Son, and then when we come next week, God willing, we'll go into the New Testament and pick up the story of the way in which this is carried on by the one Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, David wrote a psalm, 72. Will you look at it? Because this psalm is looking to his son, in the first place, Solomon, in the prophetic sense, the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of this Psalm 72, we read, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Now, I didn't mean to say that David never prayed anymore. This is the focal point. This is the one thing to which all his ambitions, all his life, as it were, all his hopes were centered. So it says, give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. He shall judge thy people with righteousness, and thy poor with judgment. The mountain shall bring peace to the people, and the little hills by righteousness. And so he goes on in these things. Uh, verse 6, he shall come down like rain upon the mown grass, as showers the water the earth. Never think it means rain coming down upon the hay and spoiling it. The word mown grass means the bare land that's been mown and left and baked hard. A picture in Palestine almost of death. And the moment the rains come, it springs up all green, a wonderful picture of resurrection. In his day shall the righteous flourish, and abundance of peace, here it is again, as as long as the moon endureth. Now, he shall have dominion also from sea to sea, and from the river unto the ends of the earth. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him and his edifice shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isle shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Sheba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him and all nations shall serve him. And then emphasizes again the one thing that was not characteristic of Solomon's reign. Over and over again in this prospect to which David is looking this son of his is going to look after the poor and the needy. Now you're told, if you would like to look at it straight away, in the 1st of Kings chapter ten fourteen. 14. The 1st of Kings chapter ten fourteen. 14. These words. Now the weight of God that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and 6 talents of gold. 666, that's an ominous number if you know your Bible, that's the number of the beast in the book of the Revelation. 666 talents of gold. And when he died, the people made a, a petition to his sons, and they said, "All oh, this was a grievous yoke that we cannot bear. What a contrast to the one of whom he was a foreshadowing, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But he refused, the son refused to lift this intolerable taxation burden to extract 666, what is it, how many talents of gold in one year from this people. And so it rent the kingdom in twain, the kingdom of Israel with ten tribes, the kingdom of Judah as a result. I always remember with great joy and satisfaction sitting one day in the British Museum and I sat beside one of the officials for the moment, and he spoke to me. Now, you might expect the official of the British Museum was rather a highbrow type. Well, he said, you know, I've been reading the Bible, and I have a feeling that if Solomon had left the revenue to his Lord, he would have had 777 instead of 666. I thought that wasn't bad, was it? And it's possible it may be true in many cases. Well, that's one feature. Well, now, will you look with me at one thing's Chapter 133, I'll have to move rather rapidly, as we mostly do, but I want to give you chapter and verse for these speeches. Chapter 133, it says um, at the end of this verse, but upon David, and upon his seed, and upon his house, and upon his throne, that shall there be peace for ever from the Lord. That was a foreshadowing of what is yet to come. And if you will now turn, but keep 1 Kings in your finger if you like, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. You'll read these words in verse 22. And they did eat and drink before the Lord on that day with great gladness. And they made Solomon the son of David king the second time and anointed him under the Lord. Solomon was anointed king the second time. And that rings a bell, does it, in your mind? In Stephen's speech he draws attention that Joseph, who was rejected by his brethren the second time, was made known to them, but not as a rejected one, but one who was their saviour. And um, Moses, whom they said, who made you a ruler? That same Moses was their deliverer. And then in the epistle to the Hebrews, to them that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So you see, there's a, a little type there in this man, Solomon. Well now, once again, in the first of Kings, chapter 4, 24. You remember the Psalm, he shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. Chapter 4, 24. For he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river, from Tisar even to Azar, over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on all sides round about him. He should have dominion from sea to sea. Now whether that was the same extent as is intended in Psalm 72 doesn't matter. Here sure is a little type of it. Here's an indication. Because you see, David was prevented from building the temple of God because he was a man of war all his Hmm. days. But Solomon whose very name means peace had peace all his days, which was another picture of the twofold work of Christ. And then while we are looking at this chapter 5 verse 10 So Hiram gave Solomon cedar trees and fir trees according to all his desire. He shall receive gifts from kings. So Solomon did. Hiram was a king And he didn't merely trade with Solomon, he gave them. And then, of course, there comes into your mind the next one. Uh, I don't know whether you would quibble and say, that wasn't king of Sheba, that was the queen of Sheba. Well, all right, Solomon only gets the queen. The Lord will get the king later on. But here it is, chapter 10, 1 Kings chapter 10. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train. Now, when you read the visit of the Queen to Ghana and all these other places, you find that they bring out great things they're going to bring as presents. They must have had a van load of stuff to already plan to give presents to this one and this one and the other one. Well, look at the train load that's coming here. With camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones... And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him all that was in her heart. So here we have the Queen of Sheba bringing gifts. The kings of Sheba and all the other places are going to do likewise in perhaps a greater and a fuller extent yet. Well now, once more, 1 Kings, chapter 4, 24 and 25. I'll read it again. For he had a million over all the regions of this, on this side of the river from Tishah even of Asar, over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on all sides round about. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his feet tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. He dwelt safely. Does that make you think of the false cry that's coming presently, peace and safety, when destruction is just hovering over? This is anticipating the real thing, peace and safety. But something more. They're going to dwell every man under his own vine and under his own fig tree. That is a a picture in the scriptures used more than once of um, the day when the uh, Feast of Tabernacles shall be fulfilled. Would you let me read from Micah? If you'd like to find it quickly, do. But um, if not, I'll read it for you. In this um, prophecy of Micah, just wait a minute, I've lost the passage myself now. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 4. <clears throat> Chapter 4, verse 4. Oh, I think we'll read verse 3. And he shall judge among pe- many people, and rebuke among nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. This is not merely an agreement to limit armaments. This is something that's being done. This is a real disarmament program that's going to be carried out. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. That's the point, isn't it? They shall not even learn how to do it. But they shall all every man under his vine and under fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. Who's going to carry it out? All oh, the one thing that makes it possible. for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Do you remember Isaiah? The voice said cry. And Isaiah said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. Yes, the Lord says, all flesh is grass. But the word of the Lord hath spoken it. It's not going to rest upon flesh that's grass, whether they make an agreement with Mr. K on the one side or Mr. K on the other. It's going to be the mouth of the Lord that will speak it and he shall speak peace to the nations in a sense that no other one can. You remember when, after the Lord died, rose again, he suddenly appeared in the upper room, and he said to the rather startled disciples, Peace be unto you. Well, I could go into a room, and I could say, Peace be unto you. But I couldn't do what he did. When he said, Peace be unto you, he showed them. He showed them his hands and his side. And there's no no one yet can take his place in that, but he's the only one who is our peace, who died the just or the unjust, that it may be possible. So we've got here, like the prophet Zechariah says, the nations that are left after the dreadful battles that are yet to come, here again an end of strife. The nations that are left shall go up to Jerusalem to keep the feast of tabernacles. That is the last of the feasts of Israel's year. Right through the year they observe the Passover and the Pentecost and the Day of Atonement and a long last. And if you're living in the neighbourhood where there's a little Jewish community still, if you like to walk through some of the back streets of uh, Whitechapel at about the time of September, you'll see in their little gardens or even on top of their houses a little booth erected, little lattice work, <coughs> a little climbing plant, and you'll see some poor old Jew sitting there with his face beaming, looking like nothing on earth. And don't laugh at him. He's anticipating in his heart the day when not only do it in the back street in East London, but every man shall sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and none make them ashamed. Well, these things, you see, are embedded in the story of Solomon. Although, as I said, Solomon like the rest of us was a failure in many ways, yet there was this distinctive thing picking him out between David, the persecuted uh, 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 anointed king, and then his son Solomon. This is emphasising the two natures in Christ. You get the Abel who was put to death and the one who was put instead, sick. You get Isaac, the child of the flesh, but nevertheless the child of gift and resurrection and so on. You get Joseph and Benjamin. You get David and Solomon. And so when we come to the New Testament, we shall find that this very one is a son born, a child given. And his name shall be the mighty God. That's a problem for us unless we believe the book, isn't it? So anticipating that we've got more to look at than we've looked at uh, at the moment, just to see the son who now enters the New Testament in the first chapter of Matthew, and he carries the story right the way through until we get the last verse concerning the purpose of the ages, then comes the end. And I trust when we reach that, we shall have had in our minds and in our hearts uh, a story and a picture that will enable us to realize that we too, in this present life, before ever that day comes, we too may have this peace. I jotted down just a minute to save myself from stigma hammering <coughs> uh, uh, two parts of a hymn I remember ooh, many years ago. You may know it. I'll, I'll finish this series this, uh, this morning with these words Peace, perfect peace. In this dark world of sin, the blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Peace, perfect peace, the future, all unknown, Jesus we know, and he is on the throne.